At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. Good morning again. Lively crew. Week number two, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Um, And so uh, as we dive in here this morning, we're going to get right after it. So for all my parents out there with kids and maybe even babysitters have experienced this, but uh, years ago um, I got married and um, we started having children. Um, at the time, before we started having kids, I was uh, working uh, for a farm, and then I took a part-time or took a part-time job at the church as the student ministry pastor there, and then eventually went full-time. And um, I, I wasn't making a killing; I wasn't making uh, a ton of money. My wife was a teacher, and we decided to have a child, and we had this little girl named Ella, um, and. My, she's laughing at me, Uh, but we had this little girl, Ella, and she was the joy of our life, this newborn baby, but through that, my wife um, decided to not teach at the moment, and she was like, hey, I'm just going to stop teaching, we're going to, I'm going to stay home with the baby, and I thought that was great until I started to notice, like, whoa, we need more money, (laughs) And so we made a deal. Uh, She was going to go and work in the evenings. I was going to work during the day. She would take the baby during the day. I would take the baby during the evenings. And so she went and she started working for Chili's. Uh, I don't know if you know that, Chili's Baby Back Ribs. I love that restaurant. Um, But my wife, like she started working for Chili's in the evening. And it was a time in my life that um, God really tried me. I uh, remember those early days when she finally said, I'm going to go work at Chili's. And uh, she handed me this newborn baby and said, hey, here, she's yours for the next four or five hours. And I remember, I do not, if you know me, I do not like holding babies. Um, I don't even know if I liked holding my own baby. And there's a reason behind that. Uh, I grew up on a farm. I'm rough. Uh, I I don't usually handle fragile things. I break them. And so... For me, I was always scared to hold newborn babies. I was like, man, I don't want to hold a newborn baby. I don't need to. Like, it's fine. The the mom can do that. Or don't ever have a baby and come try to give it to me. I will deny you. I promise. Um, But I don't like holding fragile things. I don't like holding newborn babies. And so here I was stuck at home by myself with this newborn baby that I have no idea how to care for. And my wife was okay with that. I don't understand it. <clears throat> but I remember like the first few days, I, I can just remember like this baby and I'm trying to get it to stop to cry. Like it's crying like crazy, screaming like crazy. I'm going insane. She won't eat her bottle and then she makes a mess and I have to change her diaper. Like no way, like we're not doing this, right? And it was like I was in purgatory or some 
form of this where I just was like, I need rescue. And then after those four or five hours, my wife would open the door and walk in and it would be like an angel was sent from God. And I would just be like, here's your child. Like, she's yours now. I can't do this anymore. Um, But the funny story, but I needed deliverance. I needed rescue in those moments because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And with our story today, it's kind of funny, but part of the Bible story or biblical story and part of uh, the human story is that people have subjugated other people throughout history. They've had dominion over them. And sometimes the oppressed are powerless to change their situation, similar to mine. I was powerless, trust me. They needed a deliverer. The Israelites were born into captivity and enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. Then Moses shows up on the scene and uh, opens the door, similar to my wife, from the outside, and he comes in to rescue. And, but if you know the story uh, of um, the Exodus, the hero isn't really Moses. It's not really Moses that is the actual hero in the story. The hero is God, right? It's God himself. Moses played a part as the messenger or the servant of God. God is the actual hero in the story. It's God who put the words in his mouth. It was God who brought the plagues. It was God who parted the sea. It was God who liberated his people. And the Exodus is a picture or it's an example of a spiritual story with an eternal implication that we all find ourselves in. See, if the Christian story represents reality, if it's actually true, then our situation that we are in is a lot like that. We are all born into captivity, right? We are all born sinners on our way to an eternity in hell. That's just how we are from the start, from Adam and Eve. We are now all under a curse, And if it's left up to us, the truth is, is that there's nothing that we can do. If it's left up to us, it's 100% we are going to fail. There's no way that we can find rescue or deliverance by ourselves. There's nothing that we can do. We all will fail. But the truth is, is that we are all in need of a rescue or deliverance. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. We need liberation, not just once in our lives, but we need it every day of our lives. We need a rescuer with the authority and power to bring us freedom. The truth is, is we need God to step into our story. And we're going to see today that he did exactly that. He steps into our story Every gospel writes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that all four write about Jesus' arrival. And Matthew here, he takes great care to help us see how Jesus' birth fulfilled the promises of God by bringing deliverance to God's people. Now, when we look at the Bible as a whole, we need to recognize that it's all one big cohesive story. It's just one big cohesive story that it unfolds God's plan of redemption. And this is why it's important for us when, we, when it comes to understanding the Bible or when it comes to reading the Bible, we have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. 
So sometimes the details we read about are, are revealing bigger themes that have been unfolding over centuries. And this is what Matthew does as he walks through the events surrounding Jesus' birth. So there are uh, 10 fulfillment passages in Matthew's gospel. Four of them surround the birth of Christ. So Matthew, he's ta- he talks about uh, what Mary, Joseph, and Jesus went through. But, the, but he wants us to see that their experiences were spiritually connected to huge overarching themes from the Old Testament. Scripture interprets Scripture. Most of these are what's called uh, typological fulfillments where what happened in the past is a pattern for something that happens in the life and ministry of Jesus. So when we look at our passage today in Matthew, we see that he is uh, quoting the prophet Hosea and making this connection back to Moses and the Exodus. And when we look at what God did through Moses, we see one of the greatest examples of liberation in all of Jewish history. At the time of Jesus' birth, the Hebrews were longing for a Messiah. They were longing for a Savior. And they remember when Moses wrote this in Deuteronomy 18.15, it says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Then... When we fast forward to the other side of the resurrection and return of Christ in heaven, the author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 3. It says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder is all, of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house, as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. His point here is that Jesus is greater than Moses. Where he says, man, the the builder builds a house, right? And the house is uh, incredible, right? But the builder has more honor than the house. Why? Why? Because he was the creator or the builder. He was the one that actually built it. So he has more honor than the house itself. In the same way, Jesus is greater than Moses. And the impact of Jesus' life brings a greater, more complete deliverance to people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And so this morning, to experience the deliverance of Christ, we need to embrace two realities we find in the story of Jesus' birth. And the first one we need to embrace is we must recognize our need for deliverance. Before we can actually have deliverance, we have to recognize our need for deliverance. Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, says this in verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So, last week we talked about the Magi, the wise men, they come, they follow the star, they find Jesus, and what do they do? They, they fall down and worship him, right? 
They worship him and then they give him uh, great gifts and then they go, they depart from him. And as soon as they depart, the focus goes right back to Herod, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And the thing is, is, is there's the tension. God's divine sovereignty in salvation history and the continual frustration of the forces of evil as they attempt to disrupt God's will. And that's so true, isn't it? I think in our own lives, there are forces of evil that are constantly trying to disrupt what God has to do in your life. What God wants to do in your life, there are constant things that are coming into our life. These forces of evil that we feel, whether it's temptation, whether it's sin, whatever it may be, that there's these forces of evil that want to come in and destroy you and move you in the opposite direction of where God wants you to go. They want destruction for you. And that's the tension that we have to understand these forces of evil, a little history on on Herod, to understand who this guy really was. Herod was a madman who would stop at nothing to protect his throne and reign. Historians like uh, Josephus uh, have made it clear that he was energetic, impulsive, paranoid, and ruthless. He murdered one of his 10 wives. He murdered his brother-in-law, Toward the, ends of his, or toward the end of his life, sometime around uh, 7 BC, he had two of his sons executed on the charge of treason. Later, he executed a third son named uh, Antipater only days before he passed away himself. He was so suspicious of his own family that he had three different wills drawn up in the last two years of his life. So it was nothing for Herod to give an order to destroy the newborn sons of the right of age or the right age in a tiny insignificant back road town like Bethlehem this guy was evil i mean he literally murdered his own family put them to death because he was so paranoid about losing power about losing the throne and and he was so paranoid about that that he actually killed his own family this is what evil looks like So what do we see? God sends a messenger and gives Joseph very specific instructions through a dream, right? He says, take Jesus and Mary to Egypt and stay there until I send another message to let you know all is clear. Now, I want us to recognize for a minute, I want us to recognize Joseph's response. He clearly hears from God. Through a dream, an angel comes, says, do this. What does he do? He literally gets up that night. He immediately moves, immediately responds, immediately obeys. It literally says that he rose in the night and went. He didn't hesitate. He didn't say, well, let me wait till this or that, or or let me think about it or all of these things. He obeyed God's command and got up and moved. He didn't second guess anything. He didn't think about it. He just obeyed what God asked him to do. The thing is, is this, if you clearly know God's instruction for you and then you delay, you're a sitting duck. You're literally a sitting duck for what danger could come your way. It might not be a a physical death that comes your way, but it, We all experience all kinds of spiritual, emotional, relational, soul-shaping destruction when we take our sweet time obeying God. 
and his clear instruction. Some of you have heard his voice. Maybe he's spoken to you through the word or maybe he's spoken to you through the Holy Spirit or maybe a friend in your life that God's put in your life and he's, he's spoken to you through that. And many of us sit and we wait. And he's saying, you might not see it yet, but you're in a dangerous place. This isn't the way I want, to, want you to live. This isn't the place I want you to be. Listen to me, get up, move, obey me. How long will you wait? And the thing is, is I get why we hesitate sometimes. Sometimes it's uncertain. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's like, okay, I don't get it or, or I don't know what to do. I'm sure that it wasn't convenient for Joseph and Mary to go to Egypt. I'm sure that it wasn't at the top of their list as they just had a baby and, and they're newlywed and they're like, man, we just want to go to Egypt. I'm sure that wasn't at the top of their list or it wasn't convenient. They were walking out of one hard season right into another, but this was God's path for their deliverance. And the thing is, is this, is that deliverance isn't usually cheap. Deliverance isn't always convenient. It's not always comfortable. It's costly. So to follow God's voice, to obey him sometimes, um, might cost you something. It might cost you everything. When we obey God, but there's something wonderful you'll find. As you respond to God's voice with obedience, its freedom is on the other side of obedience. Deliverance is freedom. Freedom's on the other side of when you obey God and his command and, and what he's asking you to do. There's freedom in that. When you're walking towards something and, and there's temptation or, or there's a sin in your life and, and God says, obey me, get out of this sin, go this way, don't go that way. There is freedom in that when you actually obey what God is asking you to do. Freedom from overwhelming shame, from paralyzing fear, from all kinds of idolatries, from addictions, from self-sufficiency, from stuff and things that will rob your soul of life and never fulfill your deepest longings. There is freedom when we actually obey God like Joseph did. And we can avoid the dangers that are coming ahead. Now, the family's obedience was doing uh, much more than they could have ever fully realized. Matthew says that their escape and then eventual return was the fulfillment of Hosea 11.1, where the prophet wrote this, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Hosea was a prophet to the northern tribe, uh, tribes of Israel around 740 B.C., after King David, the 12 tribes uh, that made up the nation of Israel split into two, 10 to the north, um, and then they continued being Israel, while the two to the south, the two tribes to the south, um, they were called Judah, named after the largest tribe. Hosea, he served as God's messenger to God's people among the northern kingdom. And his message wasn't something that they actually wanted to hear. It wasn't something comforting, was it? It was a message of judgment. It was a message um, that a promise of discipline and exile. It wasn't something they wanted to hear. But it was also a message of hope, of redemption and restoration. Now back to Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Egypt 
Egypt might not have been in their plans, but at this point in history, it was a perfect place for them to go for a sanctuary. Egypt was friendly to Jewish people at the time, and it was the closest center of uh, dispersed Jews outside of Israel. In fact, a, a, a first century um, Jewish philosopher named Philo of Alexandria estimated that um, a million Jews lived there. So this was a place that they actually went, that they actually could find sanctuary, they could go um, out of Herod's vision, out of uh, the, the danger of Herod. And when we read through the infancy narrative, we find uh, several parallels to the birth of Moses. We see God intervene. Moses, if you remember the story, Moses floated down the river in order that he would be delivered, right? We see rulers uh, attempting to interfere with God's will by slaughtering innocent Hebrew children. Remember when Pharaoh ordered for all the firstborn, um, or for all the midwives to kill all the newborn Hebrew boys? And that story... And then we see um, the flight of Moses and his return due to uh, hearing from God. Remember, as he he saw the burning bush? So Jesus, in, in one sense, is a new Moses. For he fulfills those events by reliving them. In the same way God watched over Moses and kept him safe, so God watches over Jesus and protects his family from the evil plot. So Matthew... Matthew sees the experiences of Jesus fulfilling the prophecy of Hosea in that Jesus' life is like um, what happened to Moses in the past. As I explained earlier, this is called a uh, typological fulfillment. And what we see is that Matthew connects Jesus' life not only to Moses, but with the entire nation of Israel, too. So Matthew sees the old Mosaic Exodus is repeating and fulfilling um, or or fulfilled in the new way. And it's not just that Jesus is like Moses. It's that he, a new and better deliverer. Jesus is the embodiment of Israel itself, a new and better son. And this points us to one of the central themes of the Bible itself. We all need to recognize our need for deliverance. See, everyone in this room, everyone here, we are all in need of deliverance. We need to recognize that. When I was a kid, I was, I think, maybe eight years old, somewhere around there, but we lived on a pig farm, and it was a a very large pig farm. We had hundreds of pigs, and it was like Every morning, I was eight, maybe nine years old, and my dad would wake us up and say, it's time to go to the barn. We have to feed the pigs before you go to school. And so we had specific chores every day that he would wake us up for. And then when we got home from school, we, or we got done with school, we actually had to go out and do more chores. That's all I remember from my whole childhood is just working on the farm, really. Um, but every morning, we would have to go out and feed the pigs. Now, I don't know if any of you have had to feed pigs before, but they're crazy, right? And we would, I specifically remember, and I don't remember a ton from my childhood, I just remember working, but I remember this time when uh, I was scared to death. 
Now, we had this one pen that had, probably had 50 to 60 sows in it. And these sows, they're not like 200-pound sows. They're like three, 350, up in that range. And so there's like 50 to 60 of them. And we, I had three brothers, myself, and we would go out and feed them. And we had to take these five-gallon buckets of grain. And these uh, troughs, they, they would, we'd like them to stay next to the, the fence so we could dump it over. But pigs, they move them out into the middle of into the pen. And so we would actually have to take the bucket and my dad would go out there with us and he'd say, okay, now take them out. And we would literally take off running with a bucket. As heavy as it was, we'd try to run across the pasture and like get out there and dump it in the thing before the pigs come and actually knock you over and devour you yourself, right? Because pigs will eat anything. But I specifically remember one time going out there and it was like, it had just rained like crazy and I'm just going to call it muck um, because that's what I thought it might be. But I remember going out there and there's this trough and there's all these pigs and I'm like trying to get out there as fast as I possibly can and I'm going through the muck and it's like this deep and that moment where you actually, the suction cup, right? And you're running, but your boot, it's back there. And I remember taking that step and going right in and then falling face first, both hands in. And I'm like sitting there going, what am I going to do? The bucket spilled. These pigs are coming in hot. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm eight years old. And like, I'm in fear for my life. I needed to deliver. I needed rescue in that moment. And these pigs are all coming around. I'm trying to hit them and get them off me. And my dad, I remember, comes out there and he's like, stand up. And I'm like, I can't stand up. Like, I'm in the muck. And he reaches down and helps me up. And I get my boot. And he's like, put your foot back in the boot. That's how it goes. Put it in there. But I think that's a lot like life. Sometimes we get in the muck. Sometimes we bury ourselves in the muck. Sometimes we get so deep that we need someone to rescue us. Sometimes we go down a path and we're like, man, God, I don't know how I got here and I need deliverance. I need rescue. I need help. And we get to those moments where we need to lean back on God and say, God, come help me, please. (laughs) I need you. There's nothing that I can do. The Apostle Paul said it like this. In Ephesians chapter 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But because the promised Messiah arrived and fulfilled every prophecy and purpose of God for his life, every human being is offered deliverance from sin through faith in the Son. Amen? That's good news. That no matter where you are, no matter how deep you've gotten, you are still offered deliverance. That you can still come to God, you can still come to him and say, God, I messed up. And believe me, once you start a relationship with Jesus, doesn't mean you're not going to mess up. You're going to. 
but we can always go back to God. I love what he says, Romans 3.22, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then he continues and he summarizes this deliverance in Romans chapter 6, verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching in which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. The question I have is, have you recognized your need? Jesus is God's path for for your deliverance. Not only do we need to recognize that we're in need of deliverance, but the second thing is we need to receive your call back home. You got to receive the call back home. We'll talk about verses 16 and 18 next week, but look down to verse 19 through 21. It says this, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. Isn't it great that God kept his promise? He always does. The angel of the Lord said to Joseph to remain in Egypt, wait there until I send another messenger to tell you when it's safe to come home. And then he does. And he says, hey, it's time. Everyone who wanted to kill him is dead. So come on home. The point is, is that we find in these verses another typology God calls his son out of Egypt and Jesus returns home with his family. Again, the language echoes Exodus chapter 4, verse 19, where the Lord tells Moses and Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. And now he's telling Joseph the same thing. Go home, go back to Israel. Everyone that wanted to kill you is dead. And again, Joseph, what does he do? He hears from God and he obeys. He doesn't wait. He doesn't say, let me, hold, let me think about this. He immediately responds in obedience. Hosea spoke about the time when God's people would return to him and come back home. And he says in Hosea eleven ten and 11, they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria. And I will return them to their home, declares the Lord. I don't know about you guys, but home to me is a safe place. I love being home. Like the older I get, maybe I'm getting old, I don't know, but I love being home. Like I used to be like, man, I want to go out and do all these things and hang out and be around this and that. Now I just love being home. Like when I leave work, I just want to go home. I want to sit in my couch and I want to look at the fire that's burning. And I just want to look at the Christmas tree this time of year, maybe put some Christmas music on, sit with my family and be home. 
Or on the other side of it, my wife would tell you, he just wants to be home. He wants to go work at the barn and, and do all the projects that I need. Maybe that's it. But I love doing things on the farm. I love being outside. I love being at my home. Home is a safe place. It's a refuge. It's a place where I love to be. Even when I go on vacation, even when I go on a long hunting trip, I just am like, man, I can't wait to get home. I just want to be home. It's a place for me of refuge. It's a place that I love to be. I think for Christians, for those of us who believe and have a relationship with Jesus, we long to be home. And I don't think it's so much the world or the place that we long to be. Rather, it's the person that we long to be with. It's not the place. It's not like, man, I long to be in another world. It's that I long to be with my Savior, my Messiah. I long to be with Jesus. There's a longing for you to be home. Matthew is painting a masterpiece here. The fulfillment of all these promises and prophecies are meant to help us see Jesus as the only way back home. There's nothing that you or I can do. Jesus is the only way back home. In Jesus, you can find that peace. You can find that love. You can find that acceptance and the forgiveness and the grace You can find significance. You can find purpose. You can find security. You can find that you belong when you receive the call back home. I often think of it like this, you know, as we walk through life, as the band's going to come. It's kind of like a child. Like I talked a little bit last week about a childlike faith, right? It's kind of like a child when you think about it. When we walk through the Christian life, when we walk through life, period, sometimes we see that shiny ball, right? When you look at a kid and and a ball's rolling down the driveway towards the road, a little kid doesn't think, man, I can't run out in the road. A car's going to hit me. They want that shiny ball, right? We talk about evil. We talk about things that will cause destruction or things that are danger. A lot of times as Christians, we chase that little shiny ball and we're running right towards the road and we don't see the danger that's ahead. And Jesus or God, he sees it and he wants to rescue us from that. He wants to deliver us from that. And so the parent is on up by the home and he's, John, turn around. Don't go in the road. There's danger. Leave the ball. Turn around. Come back to the house. And I think for us as believers, sometimes we chase the ball. And we have to obey God when he says, turn around. Obey the Holy Spirit that he sent to us to guide us and direct us. Believe the word of God as we we constantly are studying it and knowing it. Believe in all of that and and obey it. and, And don't chase the little shiny ball. Because there's danger. There's destruction in that. The truth is, is that in Jesus, God offers you escape from exile and restoration back into his family. In Jesus, God is calling you back home. And whether you're a believer, whether you're not a believer, maybe you're not, and you have never had a relationship with Jesus, maybe for you today, it's like, I need to go back home and I need to actually 
start a relationship with Jesus Christ and put my faith and trust in him and him alone as my savior. Maybe you're a believer and you're walking through some things in your life and you're like, man, I don't know how to get out of these, John. I don't even know if God loves me anymore. I accepted him long ago, but man, I've, I've started doing these things that I shouldn't and I'm walking through things and I've been tempted and man, God, I don't know if he'll accept me. He accepts you, trust me. He loves you right where you're at and he wants to offer you rescue and deliverance. The thing is, is in Jesus, God offers deliverance. My question is, have you accepted that deliverance? Let's pray. God, Lord, I thank you for your son. As we move into the Christmas season, Lord, I'm just reminded how blessed we are that you sent your son here to live on earth, Lord, so that he might die for us. He might give his life for us because you loved us so much that you want a relationship with us. And so you provided rescue for us. You provided that deliverance for us. God, I pray that we would accept that. I pray that we would turn around and come home. We'd stop chasing those little shiny ball that is leading us to destruction, to danger, Lord. But we listen to the Father. God, I pray for each individual in this room today, Lord, if one doesn't know you, I pray that they would just reach out to you, Lord, that they come talk to one of us. I pray you'd prod in their heart that you want a relationship with them and you meet them where they're at. Lord, I pray that as we continue worship, that it would glorify you and you alone in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.